The Bible says in Revelations 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Anytime somebody shares their story and shares their testimony, it creates faith in the people that are hearing the story to believe that if God changed their life, then God can change mine. Amen, amen. How y'all doing, church? That section right there did really, really good. How y'all doing, church? Let's see if we can do one better. How many of you are excited about Jesus? That is a little bit better. Well, good morning to you. My name is Zach Bennett. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And if it's your first time to be here at First Christian Church, we want to say welcome and thank you for choosing to come spend your morning with us. We don't take it lightly. We may not know you, but we already love you. And so we're thankful that you chose to be here. I'm going to look at the cameras. Those of you at the McDowell Center in the Dyer County Jail, we want you to know that we love you. We are praying for you. And we pray today that Jesus would change your life. And um, yeah, yeah, that's an awesome, awesome thing for sure, for sure. They're going to get to hear these messages in the jail, which is incredible. The last thing before we get into the Word, I want to tell you right outside these double doors in that cubby hole, today is community group sign-up. And they've got some incredible groups. If you're not involved with those things, I want to encourage you, go out there and sign up. I read over them this morning. There's some incredible things. I honestly wish I could do them all, except the women's one. That would have been a little awkward. But I want to encourage you to sign up and be a part of that. Well, let's pray, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say to us today. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, God. I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to our hearts today and you would change our life. I ask that you would hide those of us that will be on this stage behind your cross. Let people see you. Let them see your goodness. Let them see your mercy. Let them see your grace. And the church said, Amen. 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 Well, welcome to week three of our series, God's Stories. How many of you have been enjoying this series so far? Awesome. A lot of you been enjoying the series. We've just been able to be real and be raw. Just like I've done each week, I just want to tell you the idea behind the series. We have a belief that every person has a story. Some people have bad stories. Some people have good stories. But when God gets in your story, he makes something beautiful. We know that every person apart from Jesus, whether they know it or not, are a mess. But when Jesus gets into their life, their mess becomes a message. And our belief is that when somebody shares their story and somebody begins to share their testimony, that the people that are hearing the story begin to believe that if God changed their life, then maybe God can change mine. And our belief is that a testimony is powerful. And I know it's powerful because I'm seeing lives be changed. And this morning, I want to tell you just about for about 45 seconds about one that happened a few weeks ago in week one. I won't say the person's name, but I've got to uh, sit down with him and talk with him. It's been incredible. This guy, he was really struggling. He had an addiction to alcohol. In week one, we were up here and Lyle Willis was sharing his story about how Jesus had changed his life. And while Lyle is sharing his story, this guy is sitting in his seat hearing the words that Jesus changed Lyle's life. And in a moment, God spoke to him and told him, number one, you're supposed to be here. But the incredible thing that happened was he said to me, he said, heat filled his body and 
Instantly, Jesus saved his life and delivered him from alcohol. It's been three weeks, no desire for alcohol. Jesus has changed his life. And that is why we share our story. Because there are people that are in the room, there are people that are in your life, that when you begin to share what Jesus has done in your life, it then it invites them to encounter that same Jesus. People often say that God isn't real because you can't see Him or prove His existence. But when I see a story like that, it's enough evidence for me to believe that God is real. Amen? Today you're going to hear a story that is, to be honest with you, very painful. Yet it's beautiful because of what Jesus brought out of it. You see, one of the biggest questions that we have in life, those of us that are believers and those of us that are not, the biggest question a lot of us have is, how can you tell me there's a good God? When there's so much pain and suffering and hurt in the world. How many of you have ever asked that question? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? See, pain and suffering are a present reality that we all face. Either you're going through pain, you've come out of pain, or eventually you will go into pain. It's just a reality of life. Maybe you're in here and you've lost a loved one. Maybe you're in here and you're facing sickness or you've got somebody that you know that's facing sickness, maybe cancer. I know for a period of time I really struggled with kidney stones. Maybe you've got a, a kid that's lost and on drugs and your marriage may be struggling and your finances are struggling and life is just painful. Life is just a struggle and we often wonder why do these things happen? Today I'm going to do my best with the help of the Lord to give you some clarity as to why we go through things, why we go through pain, why we go through suffering. You're not going to have notes, but if you have your Bible, your iPad, whatever it is that we use nowadays, I'm going to turn your attention to Job chapter 1. It's a book that we're all familiar with, I would think, but I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Job chapter 1 starts off and says, There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of us. He was a blameless man, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And he employed many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is a blameless man, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has a good reason to fear you. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and all of his property. You've made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with his possessions, but don't harm him 
physically, so Satan left the presence of the Lord. So immediately in the book of Job, in chapter 1, we find out several things about Job. Number one, he was a blameless man. He was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. So by our standards, by our thoughts, we would say that Job would be considered a good man. And so what happens is in heaven there's this thing, there's this conversation that goes on and the devil comes before God and God says, Satan, what are you doing? Where have you been? He said, I've been patrolling the earth. And God says, really, have you considered my servant Job? He's a fine man. He's a righteous man. He fears God and shuns evil. And the devil says, yeah, that's true that he fears you, but the only reason he does is because you protect him and you've given him a lot of things. If you would just take all of that away from him, then he'll curse you. And the Bible says that God gives permission to Satan to touch Job's stuff. Keep reading and you find out that it ends up happening. He loses all of his animals. He loses his servants. He loses his sons and his daughters. And eventually he ends up losing his health, which is amazing. But the Bible says in Job chapter 1 verse 22 that in all of this that happened, Job didn't sin by blaming God. One of the things I want you to understand and to see in this story is that God did not orchestrate the pain. God didn't sit up in heaven and plan that to happen. He doesn't sit up in heaven and say, it's time to give them sickness. It's time to hurt them. The enemy had the plan. It's a byproduct of sin. When God created the earth, when He formed the earth and He made Adam and Eve, there was perfection. There was no pain, there was no death, there was no loss. But if you read in Genesis, you find that the enemy comes, Satan comes, and he deceives Eve and Adam into eating of the fruit. And when they ate of the fruit, God's blueprint, God's mold of what his plan was, was broken. Sin entered the world. Death entered the world. Pain entered the world. And it messed up what God had originally planned. This is why Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, somebody that he loved because he knew this wasn't the way life was supposed to be. So Job, he's going through the loss of all of these things and he ends up, the Bible says that his health gets struck with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. He's going through suffering, if I've ever seen suffering, and he has a few friends that come along and the Bible says that for the first seven days they sit with him and don't say anything which is sometimes the wisest thing you can do when somebody's going through pain. Because oftentimes we talk too much and cause people more pain than what they actually had. So they start off good. They start off for seven days not saying anything. But eventually they start to open their mouth and start to make accusations about Job. They start telling him, Job, your sin caused this. Job, you're the reason this is happening to you. Maybe, you're, maybe your kids have sinned. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's something you've did that nobody knows about because they start giving him some truths that are general truths that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. So, Joe, bad things are happening to you, so you obviously did something wrong. In chapter after chapter of the book of Job, Job is pleading his case, saying, I didn't cause this. I didn't sin. It wasn't mean he's trying to get a hold of God. He's trying to get God's attention and saying, God, would you answer me? Show me what I've done wrong show me why I'm suffering the way that I'm suffering and in Job chapter 8 there's a friend named Bildad I don't know who named him Bildad but I'm not crazy about the name I wouldn't have named my kids that but they named his name's Bildad and he starts telling Job he said Job it's got to be your kids that have sinned well Job if you would just start to live righteous God would restore it all and give you even more this is what Job says in chapter 9 
Starting at verse 1, he said, Then Job spoke again. Yes, I know all of this is true in principle. I know that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. But how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? For God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? And you jump down to verse 32 and he says this, God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there was a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, somebody that could bring heaven to earth, then I could speak to him without fear. But I cannot do that in my own strength. And by reading the book of Job, you start to see something. That his greatest anguish was the fact that he couldn't understand why he was going through what he was going through. His greatest anguish was, God, why am I suffering? And his greatest anguish was, God, why won't you answer me when I call out to you? Why won't you answer me when I'm, when I'm, when I'm trying to figure out what's going on in my life? But you see, Job doesn't know about the conversation that happened in heaven. Job doesn't know about the enemy coming to God and saying, take his stuff. Job doesn't know that it was the enemy that came and said, take his family, take his servants, take his animals, give, take his health and he'll curse you. Job doesn't know. And you see, you got to understand, church, there are things that are happening in heavenly places that affect your life that you may not know about. But one of the things you've got to understand, and one of the things of my prayers today, is that the enemy would get exposed for who he is. The Bible says in John 10, 10, that the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Anytime I see death, loss, and destruction, it's a sign to me that the enemy's fingerprints are on it. But the Bible also says in James chapter 1, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. You see, brokenness and pain, suffering, the things that we go through in this life, it's a byproduct of the fall of man. But I want to tell you that our pain isn't the end. In reading the story, I'm blessed by Job. There's something incredible about Job to me. Is that the enemy comes and God thinks so much about Job and God knows so much about Job that He tells the devil, consider Job. And it tells me that maybe God knew there was something about Job. There was enough in Job that no matter what the enemy threw at him, no matter what the enemy's plan was, Job wouldn't curse him. Job would stand strong. Job would stand faithful. That no matter what the enemy threw, there would be enough in Job where he could stand the test. And maybe what you're going through, I know it's hard. Trust me, I know that pain and suffering is real. But does God know there's something in you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said, take heart, I've overcome the world. The enemy throwing things at you, but is there something in you that tells you that no matter what the enemy throws at me, I will stand strong? No matter what the enemy throws at me, I'm going to stand strong. You see, you got to understand, trials and suffering and pain will one day fade into glory. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet the troubles produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. You see, church, when we understand that pain and suffering and the things that we go through have an eternal purpose, our perspective changes. 
And the question stops being, God, why me? God, why now? God, why this? And the question starts being, God, why you? Why would you go to the cross? Out of all people, why would you die for me? Because let me tell you, church, Job wasn't the only righteous man that suffered wrongly. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was beaten beyond recognition for you and for me. He was beaten beyond recognition. In Job chapter 9, Job says, If I only had a mediator, if I only had somebody that could bring heaven to earth, if I only had somebody who could be my umpire that could go before God for me, little did Job know that 1,600 years after he says those words, there would be a man by the name of Jesus that would come to the earth. And 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and one mediator that can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He was sinless, yet he suffered greatly. Yet his suffering wasn't the end. He went in that tomb after being beaten, but he rose to glory. And Job lost it all. But at the end of Job's life, the Bible says that God gave him back double the things that he lost. And the pain and the suffering that you're going through doesn't have to be the end of the story. I believe that God can bring something glorious out of it. Check out the story. Whenever I was a young, a young blood or whatever, uh, me and my little brother, we had to, uh, we had to go and uh, stay with my aunt because my, you know, domestic violence and different things was in the, uh, in the situation and drugs and alcohol, whatever, uh, end up killing my mom. My dad, my, my dad killed my mother, and uh, my aunt Mary uh, and my aunt Mindy adopted me uh, and went through a long process. It was like till actually fourth grade till they actually were able to adopt me. Yep, me and my brother. But uh, we had a uh, through that point in life, man. Truthfully, they were great. They were good. They were great people. They always uh, took me and my brother to sports. We loved sports. We played ball every day. We didn't do anything except ball. That's like literally that was my our whole life. Uh, but then uh, I had a really pretty traumatic. Uh, the next thing I know. Me and my brother and Shane, were, we were uh, in a car accident. And I tell you what, man, this is how you know whenever you never know if you're gonna die. This is, this is real talk because if you ever been in a car wreck before, you know how fast it can happen. You're sitting there driving down the road, and the next thing you know is just, you're in the hospital. You don't remember, don't remember nothing, don't remember how you got there. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there and you're in pain like, what in the crap's going on? And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, like y'all was hit by a truck and I was thinking, dang, you know, last place I remember is we was just about to cross 412. And, uh, Sure enough, that you know, they said, "Yeah, y'all had a wreck at 412." I knew exactly where. I was like, "Man, I was like, where's my brother?" At? 
first, that's the first thing I asked. I was like, well, where's my brother? Because my brother was sitting right beside me. Wounds, wounds heal. That's what I tell myself. And I have so many mirrors. I got, I got scars on my body that remind me of, of that time. And uh, I shared my whole life with my brother. I mean, until, until that point, but I'll see him. Uh, all of a sudden, while I was in the middle of doing all this stuff or whatever, going back to the same way, I was, uh, I was still, I started feeling lost, like I needed something more, and uh, I was with some, with one girl at one time, and then I turned around and I got one with my wife, I got with the wife that I have now. Cause we were young, man. I mean, I was 18 when I got out of Teen Challenge, pretty much. Whenever we got out, whenever uh, I met her, man, it just all started, like, life kind of started falling in place. Cause we were both, like it kind of says, we were kind of both hungry for something different. Uh, wanting to do something different than doing the drugs and drinking the alcohol. Well, we got married, and then next thing you know, pow, we have a baby. And uh, it was my little, my first little son. Uh, he was, uh, everything was going pretty good and stuff. Uh, but it, my wife started getting a little sick and stuff, and uh, she went to the hospital. And uh, they were like, look, we're gonna have to take your baby. You know, you're preclampsy. We knew she had preclampsy. They was watching it, but we have to do it now. We end up having pacing at a pound and ten ounces. But I was like, you know, I said it's gonna be okay. God would not give me this son for him to take it. You know, not not for 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 me to lose him. After all I've been through, I'm just I'm not settling for losing my son. I said I'm just not gonna settle for it. He was in the NICU and everything was going good. Monica started feeling better and stuff. And he was in the NICU for a very, for a while, like seven months or something. And I'm every day, me and my wife, we're just praying, thank you, Jesus, I believe in you, you know, just, just having that faith that you need and belief in God that he's real and watching God do these, this miracle. God, God is a healer, you know. My son, he's absolutely fine now. There's absolutely nothing wrong with him. That's because the power of Jesus. <laughs> but there's some things I wouldn't want to go through, and there's some things I wish could have been different. I, I'm, I'm be, you know, what I'm saying because I mean, it, but like you said, it does. You're, it does make you who you are. I'm Joseph, and this is my God story. Amen. Amen. This family means so much to, to me and my family. They got such an incredible story. And, uh, you know, when I think of Monica and Joseph, and you know, we've got such a love for them. Today, I want to ask you to give them grace when they share. This is a story that has never been shared publicly before. And I preached about Job, and I talked about Job. And um, I'll tell you right now, if I've ever met somebody that reminds me of Job, it's this man right here. 
In the video, you heard parts of it, but I just want to tell you briefly just really what he went through. How old were you when it happened to your mom? Seven. He was seven years seven. old when his dad shot and killed his mom. His 10-year-old brother died in a car accident. The guy driving it named Shane was a family friend, died as well. His dad ended up dying in prison. His uncle hung himself in prison. Had a little boy that was born at 25 weeks, weighing a pound and 10 ounces. He had a cousin who, a year later after his car accident, a year later that died in another car accident. This man has been through hell. But he'll stand here today and tell you about the greatness and awesome of our Jesus. And so as, as we go through these questions, I pray that you would give grace. It's not going to be polished. So often we do so much fake stuff in Christianity. But we're just going to be real like we have been. We're going to be raw. And I pray that you would hear this today and be encouraged. I love you guys. Thank you all for being up here with me, man. Um, and after all that you've been through, man, so many people would say that God's not good. But after all that you've been through, would you say that God is good? Yeah. God's more than good. God's love. Uh, but, yeah, um, I know a lot of people in this world go through a lot of stuff and have a hard time wondering, man, is God really good? But uh, I, I think he's most definitely good. I'm nervous, too, guys, so y'all have to bear with me on this stuff. I've never done it in my life. Uh, but and I'm uh, the only wife he's ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so is God good? <laughs> yes, yes, man. Uh, yeah, I, I most definitely, man, there's no doubt, man. Even though I've been through a whole lot of stuff, I'll always stand firm and believe that God's good because he's done so much stuff for me and my wife, you know, and he's always doing something miraculous, you know what I'm saying? So God, man, he's a great God, man, loving God, caring, wonderful God. It's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I've had a front row seat into his life being his wife. But looking at him today from 10 years ago, there's so much life change. And that's what God does in us. That's his goodness. You know, when I first met Joseph, he just came back from Teen Challenge. And he was so brought, so lost, so broken. And I remember one day going to church, he said, I just can't live my life like this anymore. And because of God today, he stands in so much purpose and so much peace, and that's because of God's goodness. Amen. Amen. God is so good. And I pray that you're hearing this today. If somebody could go through that and stand here and say God is good, what, what, what can we go through and we can still stand and say God is good? And we just, we, I, I named off just some of the things you've been through, and I know that there's probably more than that that you've been through as well. The lady that actually uh, ended up raising you and adopted you, she passed away with, with cancer. Um, but, man, you've been through so much. But how do you stay strong? How do you keep your faith moving forward? Because it's easy to get stuck. So how is it that you push forward? Well, whenever I gave my life to Christ, you know what I'm saying, like really started doing that, that's when my strength started, you know, forming, I think. Uh, but um, I just wake up. I try to remember to pray just like everybody else does, you know, and uh, – just try to read my word, uh, but uh, I give God all the glory, but I think really what keeps me the strongest is probably my family, because I had, um, I'd asked God, you know, 
since I hate, since I've kind of lost a couple of things in my life, you know, would you give it back? And then he's gave me my children and my wife, and I just feel like that's probably the biggest thing that would keep me strong is my family, most definitely. But, yeah. Because it's so easy. You know, the thing is, is when you haven't lost something, you tend to take for granted what you have. And one of the things that we do is we just take for granted the people that are in front of us every day. And so hear that today. If you haven't lost that, don't take for granted your kids. Don't take for granted your family. If you're not talking to them, call them. Let them know you love them. Don't take it for granted because you never know. We're not promised tomorrow. And so him remembering and, and thinking about the fact that he's, he's got a family today that Jesus has put in his life. And it's a reminder of, to him of the goodness of God. And he chooses to look forward and look, look forward to the day when he sees, his, he sees his family every day loving God and, and flourishing. And that to him is a picture of God's goodness. And so he says, I'm going to push forward. I'm not going to look back. Even though I, it, it, you don't forget it, you don't get over it, but you choose to make that step to move forward. And the next question I have, Monica, I want to ask you. Because, you know, when, when you and him first got married, you didn't even know who Jesus was. You didn't know nothing about him. And so, so often people have the mindset of when you get saved and everything just gets easy. But that wasn't the case for you. You get married, boom, you get pregnant. And 25 weeks in, you have this baby that's born one pound, 10 ounces, and you're in the NICU for seven months. How do you cope with that? What is, what's going on in your mind through all of this? I wish that I could say I handled it a lot differently. Um... Something that sticks out to me the most, I just remember the anger. I remember thinking that because I, because I was born again, you know, I was fresh into the faith. And I remember thinking, you know, things are supposed to be easy. You know, things are, I'm supposed to be protected. And in a lot of ways, I blamed myself. I felt like it was my body that had, that had basically... That failed our son. And I, and something that sticks out in my mind the most is when the first day that I went to see Pace and the NICU coming back, we were in the elevator going back into our room, and there was a parent. There was parents coming with their newborn baby in the car seat, and it was full of life, and they were happy, and I wanted that. And in my mind, I thought that I was going to, in my mind, I wanted it my way. But it was hard. But thankfully, through having a husband that stood on faith, it was really crazy looking in the eyes of doctors when they have to give you their statistics saying that he's probably going to have some type of brain damage. He's probably going to be blind because he was born with his eyes closed. But my husband's saying, no, my God's greater. Come on. And that's what's amazing. And I want you to hear or maybe take off run and get excited this morning. And what's amazing is he went through so many things. He went through trial. He went through tribulation. But God used that to build his faith. So now when the enemy tries to come in and throw something at him, he can look it in the face and say, not today, devil. Not today. And he told me about him. He would stand there and say, my son will see. He won't be blind. My son will live. And he would speak to it in faith. But God had taken what the enemy meant for bad and shaped it for something incredible. And so today he's able to look in the face of whatever trial comes his way and say, no, God's going to win this battle. And that's beautiful. And that's beautiful. The next question I want to ask you, Joseph, is, you know, so many people are stuck in their pain. And it's not something that you get out of immediately. It's a, it's a walk. It's a process. But so many people live in brokenness and pain. What advice would you give to those here that are in pain, currently going through it, and will one day go through it? What advice would you give? 
Um, I think um, it just depends on what you what you're going through, different stuff. Uh, you know what I'm saying? But you got to kind of start looking forward. You got to let it. Y'all let stuff kind of, you don't forget about your people or forget about what you've been through because that's what makes you. But um, you just got to, for, huh? You got to make a choice. Yeah, you got to make a choice to just kind of pick up and move on. Even though it, even though it's sometimes hard, harder for, but, uh, yeah, the, for me, uh, Growing up as a little kid, you know what I'm saying, and seeing different things kind of helped me, uh, made, just made me, made me who I am today, you know. Yeah. Um, so. I think about Paul. Paul talked about forgetting those things past and looking forward. And while we was getting ready for today and preparing for today, there was a scripture that kept coming to my mind out of Jeremiah. I think it's Jeremiah 16, maybe it's 18, but Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. And the Bible says, Jeremiah sees the potter working on the wheel with clay. And the Bible says the clay in his hands began to be marred and, and damaged. But it said he didn't throw it away. He took the clay and he shaped another vessel. And here's what I want to tell you. Your story might have brokenness in it. It might have cracks in it. There might be some blemishes in it. But that's a part of the beauty of what Jesus done in your life. When, he's, when he shapes you into the vessel, he talked about in his video that the things that he went through shaped him. And allow the things, allow the brokenness, allow the pain to be a part of your story. Allow it to be part of the beautiful thing that God does in your life. It's not something that you're going to just today walk out of this door and just forget all about. But each day you have to take those steps. Every day to say, I'm moving forward. I'm not going to stay in this. I'm going to lay it at the feet of Jesus. And you cast your cares on him because you know that he can carry it and you can't. And Joseph, he, he made that decision. He could have stayed there, but he chose to say, I am going to move forward. I know it's not easy. I know that what you're going through is hard and you're facing brokenness and loss. And, and, and we're not downplaying that like it's not, like it's not hard because it is. But you don't have to stay there. And your story can become a testimony that could change people's lives. Yeah, it's pretty cool to... He says he says a lot of stuff way better than me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, man, Lord Jesus, that man's bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's all good. It's but, all good. But, yeah. One last question. He's just a good old country boy. That's all he is. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I want to ask you, man, is a lot of people say that, that God isn't real because bad things happen to good people. What would you say to that? Bad things happen to good people. Well, my wife told me don't say, <laughs> you know, we all have a little bad, we all have a little good, but, uh, man, I just don't, I don't think that God does anything to, to hurt us, you know, because he's so loving and everything. Uh, but God, uh, so, hold on, I'm sorry. No, it's I okay. apologize. Oh, you're good, man. But something, something that God revealed to us after we, after, uh, about a couple of years, I was really struggling with coping with what had happened because the doctors had told us, you know, you probably just shouldn't get pregnant again. You have a 70% chance of your preeclampsia being worse. So, and I'll never, I'll never forget being in worship. And God revealed how good he was to us during that time. You know, 
we moved seven days before we delivered Payson on the same street as the hospital. We got to be with him. We had no idea. I was not sick at the time at all. It was just something that was on set overnight. And we got to be with our son every day. And God, I'll never forget whispering in my ear and said, I had you. Hmm. It wasn't your fault. I had you. He was still working in us even when we didn't see it and we didn't feel it. I don't don't hear what she's saying. They moved to a new house on a Saturday. She was perfectly healthy. The house was right down the street from the hospital. Didn't know. Thursday, she gives birth right down the street from the hospital. So they were able to be with their baby. You see, God's goodness is interwoven through every detail of our life. If you would just open your eyes, you could see it. I talked about in my message that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says God's able to take what the enemy means for bad and turn it for good. The enemy took his brother's life, but little did the enemy know he would get life. The enemy doesn't win. He doesn't win. And uh, what's incredible about their story is the enemy took so much, but God gave it all back. I want you to check out this picture of their family. Not only that, Payson. Hey, Payson, come here, buddy. Run up here real fast. I want you to see his son. Come here, Payson. He ain't going to do it. He ain't going to do it. But the little boy on the left right there, he's healthy as can be. There he is. Come on up here, buddy. This is, good. this is the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God. And we serve an awesome Jesus. And not only that, what I find incredible is how God brings things full circle. We did a ministry called the Joseph House. How many of you have ever heard of the Joseph House? Hands on up all over the room. It's after his life. And there's many lives that have been changed because of his. And there's one in particular that you might know that I find to be incredible. Because of what he went through, because of his story. This guy over here, Pastor Randall, our worship leader. If it wasn't for him, I don't want you... Oh, it's making me take off. I'm going to cry. Because of his story, he gave his life to Jesus. I want you to see the goodness of God in this. And the lives that have been changed because of this family. And not only that, the fact that they've been through hell and they can stand in front of you and say, God is good. God is faithful. God is merciful. God is full of love, abounding in grace. He loves you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. My prayer today is that the enemy will be exposed for who he is. He's a liar, but he doesn't win. He doesn't win. And if you're going through pain and brokenness today, I want to encourage you, surrender it to Jesus because He's the only one that can take the marred clay and shape it into something beautiful. He's the only one that can take the mess and turn it into a message. He said in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I have a plan to bless you and to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. So when you hear that scripture, you see that God's plan is good and it's the enemy that wants to destroy your life. So know that today. And Pastor Randall's fixing to sing a song. It's called Joseph. This is a song that Pastor Randall wrote and actually sang it at Joseph's brother Brandon's funeral. When Randall wrote this song, he wasn't saved. But nearly two months later, he would give his life to Jesus. So as they sing this song, I want, you to, I want it to be a song that you reflect on. And the opening line of the song says, Joseph, face the mirror and tell me what you see. I want you to put your name in it. Face the mirror today. What do you see? Well, Joseph, face the mirror. 
tell me what you see a man in need of a blessing but they don't come for free there's something deep inside you that makes you want to scream Joseph, lay your burdens down on me. Joseph says to Brendan, he is leaving me. And friends that need a shoulder, but that don't comfort me. Well, I feel just like a baby, as helpless as can be. Well, Joseph, lay your burdens down on me. Well, and he cries at night when his light fades away. Let he wonders how things turn out this way. Well, Joseph keeps a picture locked inside his heart And every day's a struggle to not be torn apart Well, he never knew that love would ever be so hard Well, Joseph, can't you hear the broken heart? Well, and it seems sometimes that he just might throw it in Cause all he sees Is that he will need him again But Joseph was found this morning All alone so I just can't handle being all alone Well, man, you're never lonely You got Jesus by your side And Brandon, I know we'll see you in the sweet by and by In the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore well, in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore come on amen amen this morning with uh, every, every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Maybe you're in here this morning and you said, man, I got a lot of pain, I got a lot of hurt in my life. Going through a lot of things that I need that strength, I need that Savior. Like Joseph talked about, I need that. I need somebody to come in and give me strength. I need somebody that I can cast my cares on. I need somebody that I can look to for my future that can save me, can clean me up, can change me. If that's you this morning and you need a Savior and you need somebody to change your life and His name is Jesus, if that's you, I want you to lift your hand high. I want to see Him high. Hands going up all over the room. Or you can put your hands down. Keep your eyes closed. If that's you this morning, 
I want to encourage you to fill out the connection card in front of you. Mark the box that you gave your life to Jesus. We want to walk with you. We would love to meet with you, pray with you. Also, if you're here this morning and you say, man, my story may not look like his, but I need hope. Maybe things are hard for you. Maybe your job is hard. Maybe things are just tough in your family. And you say, I need hope. I need peace. I need need him to be my anchor. The Bible said hope is an anchor and Jesus is hope. If that's you this morning and you need hope and you need peace, I want you to lift your hand high all over the room. Amen. Put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person that raised their hand. I thank you for those this morning that put their faith in you. That their names are now written in the Lamb's book of life and all of heaven is rejoicing. Now, Father, I lift up those in this room that are hurting. Those that are in pain and suffering and trial and it's just been hard. Jesus, I ask that you would pick those burdens up, God, and and to help them with it. To carry it for them. Help them to move forward to fix their eyes on Jesus. Help them know that you've got a plan and a purpose for their life. Holy Spirit, I ask that peace would begin to sweep over this congregation this morning. That peace would begin to fill every heart to know that the present trials cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed when you're revealed to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you stand to your feet with me this morning. Wasn't that an incredible story? Come on. Joseph and Monica requested a song that we would close with today called Waymaker. I love the lyrics. It says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't understand it all, Jesus, you're working. Because you're a way maker, you're a miracle worker, you're a promise keeper. And I'm going to tell you today, there's no greater time to sing than when you're going through storms. There's no greater time to sing than when you're going through trials. I'm convinced that when you, when you begin to declare that he's a miracle worker and that he's a promise keeper, in the middle of your storm, he'll begin to do that miracle. Let's worship Jesus.